0: I had taught in the Eternal Perspectives class a couple of years ago, uh, um, I think an eight week, eight sessions on worldview, how we develop our worldview. And so I thought this year I would go back and do a little bit of review of some key topics. And the thing we're going to be focused on primarily are issues related to truth. What is truth? How do you define truth? Um, how do other people define truth? And so forth and so on. And so last week I I talked about the the larger elements that make up a worldview. And uh, I'm not going to go through all that again today because we're going to stay in one of the elements that I talked about last week and that is that everybody, everybody has some ultimate source for truth that they're trusting to make sense out of the world. And so today we're going to pick up, I said last week Irv... Ask the critical question, how do we know that what we believe is true, right? Uh, something along those lines. And I said I was going to answer that question this week. I'm going to start to answer that question this week, but we're not going to quite get there. We're, we're going to start thinking about it this week and then wind up there next week. So in order to do that, before, you, before we get into the handout that I've given you, there's a lot on that handout. Some of it we're not going to hit on, but I uh, just put any, everything down there that I uh, might possibly talk about. Um. Before I do that, I want to take a brief tour of the Gospel of John with you. So if you'll open up in your Bibles to John, we're going we're gonna to just uh, look at several passages going almost all the way through the book. Because as you probably know, if you've studied the, book of the Gospel of John before, um, one of the themes that John emphasizes is the issue of truth. What is truth? Or maybe I should phrase it this way, who is truth? Right, it's a little bit different, but John really focuses on that. So, if you'll start right in John one, I'm going to read fast, so y'all are going to have to listen fast, um, and we're just we're just going to kind of look at a couple of key statements and tie these together. So, John one one, y'all all know this most famous part of the book uh, outside of John three sixteen. It starts with this: "In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God." And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through Him. And without Him uh, was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. Verse 5. Now the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 5. That's one of the first things I want to look at. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not... Overcome it. Now, clearly, we know reading through this gospel that he's talking about Jesus in these first verses. Jesus is the Word who was with God and was God in the beginning. Verse 3, we'll come back and talk about this. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. He is the creator, agent of all creation. Paul says a very similar thing in uh, Colossians. All things were created by him, through him, and for him. But then this statement, verse 4, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So life and light are put together there. And the final thing, The light shines in the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. My translation has overcome here. Your translation may have something different. Uh, they struggle to uh, find the right word here. Uh, maybe something like master. Some translations have the darkness has not mastered it. has uh, understood it. And I was going to say the others. Some of the others have said understood it, right? And the reason for that is John has picked a word that is um, not in, entirely clear. Does he does he mean master to 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 bind it in and control it, or does he mean to understand it, right? And you read through the gospel and you find out the answer is yes, right? <laughs> uh, a lot of times the the biblical writers will use ambiguous words. Because they want you to think about that word, meditate on it as you go through, and see how it might expand, how it might be comprehended. And so here, the idea is not just that the darkness has not overcome the light, right? It's also not understood the light, right? Now, think about that for a minute. It's not only is it not right, overpowered it, it's also not understood it, it's not comprehended it. And in fact, the... The 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 word is interesting because at its root um, meaning the word means to grasp something right to get to get a hold of something which we still use that in the way we think when when I get a hold of something that can either mean I'm controlling it right I've got it in my grasp or right we use it thinking of mentally well I just I can't I can't get a hold of that right so very same idea here so this light has come Jesus is the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it, or it hasn't uh, understood it. Then if you jump down to verse 9, he says, Now the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. He repeats some of those things. And yet the world did not know him. There it is. Right? If if you kind of take the parallels that John has there, light and darkness, Jesus comes into the world, but the world doesn't know him. Right? The world is darkness. Right, Everything in the world is darkness, and we find that out in the Gospel uh, that's opposed to the truth. Verse 11, He came to His own, and His own people did did not receive Him. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave them the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Right, And then, here we go, verse 14 again. Important statements. Now the Word, the one who existed before with God and was God and all things were created through Him. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And this, we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Here's John. He's, He's writing this Gospel many years after he had been with Jesus during his earthly ministry. Remember, uh, John is one of the twelve, one of the ones that Jesus picked to be apostles, to be a witness of the resurrection. And here, John is thinking about all of that many years later, and his mind is blown. I saw him. Right? I saw the one who was God before him, but now has become flesh and walked among us. And the way he describes it is, it was glorious. Right? Right? And if I could let, let let me paraphrase that word and y'all of you that know me, glory is one of my favorite words. It, it's just incredible uh what's attached to it in the scriptures. But but glory, let me just say it this way: it's it's the it's God's incomprehensible beauty. That's what his glory is. his glory is something that is so marvelous and so wonderful that you see it and it blows your mind, and then you can't stop talking about it, and then you realize there's too much to fully talk about. <laughs> At the end of this Gospel, John is going to close with saying, you know, I guess if uh, everything was written down that Jesus said and did, not every book in the world will be able to contain it all. I've just given you this this little bit so that you can know that you have life in Him. Right? Really important idea. So here, this glory, this, this uh, uh, incomprehensible beauty that's been shown in Jesus, it's full of grace and truth. And then he goes on to say, verse 15, And John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. And from his fullness, verse 16, We have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Right Now, this is John's perspective. This is, this is completely politically incorrect, culturally incorrect. The only way you're going to know the one true God is through Jesus. That's John's perspective, right? And it, that just gets worse as we go through the Gospel, especially when Jesus starts to teach. Jesus is very exclusive in His teaching about what truth is and how do you know it, Right? And, and he pulls no punches as he talks about it. Let's take a look at a couple of those things. Uh, turn over with me now to John 8. And look at what he says here. This, is, um, this, is, this again will be a familiar passage to you. John chapter 8. And it's really interesting. It, this, this comes in the context of one of Jesus' great sermons in John. Let me just read a little bit in John chapter 8, verse 12. John chapter 8, verse 12. Says um, Now again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. There it is. There's the word light. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. There's the two themes that we see. saw John introduced right in chapter 1. Light and life together. And then he goes on to explain uh, or, to, or to develop that idea about life and who he is. But the main thing I want you to see is uh, look, look down to verse 31. Again, really famous statement. Y'all, y'all have all heard this before. Um, people uh, begin to believe Him at this point. And so verse 31, Jesus cannot ever miss an opportunity that when somebody says they believe in Him or express trust, He he immediately just tries to mess them up, right? <laughs> to make sure uh, what's going on. Verse 31 says, now, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in Him, If you abide, or if you remain, if you live in my word, you are truly my disciples, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We've all heard that. The truth will set you free. But they answered him, verse 33, they said, we're the offspring of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say we will become free? Uh, I love that statement for a number of reasons, but the primary thing is, Right, they are the offspring of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anyone, and I think, do you not know your own history? Right, uh, the the beginning of the history of Israel is about it being enslaved in Egypt, right, for four hundred years. <laughs> what are you talking about? We've never been enslaved, right? Now they're talking about it in their immediate context, but then Jesus goes on and says this. Verse at the top of. Uh, uh, the next verse, verse 34. i about told you the to top of page 1622. I don't know that that would work for many of you in here. Um, Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever, the son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Now I know that you're the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I've seen with my Father, and you do uh, what you have heard from your Father. And then he goes on to say, well, you know, my Father is Father God in heaven. Your Father is the devil because you reject the truth about me. And he, he goes on. If you look at verse 47, he, he, he comes to this, and this is important for what I'm shooting towards here. Verse 47, whoever, whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. And just hold that in mind for a little bit. They they can't hear, and they can't receive the words of God because they're not of God. Right? Just hold that and hold that in your mind for a second. Then uh, turn over to chapter fourteen with me. We're working toward the end of what I want to read here. Chapter fourteen again, really famous part of the book. Uh, y'all have known this. You, you've heard it misquoted at every funeral you've ever been to. <laughs> uh, Fourteen one. let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way where I'm going. Now verse 5, here it here is, this is a critical statement. Uh, but Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? You remember in the larger context, Jesus has been teaching them about his death, burial, and resurrection. But they don't get it yet. They, right, it's been kept from them. They can't perceive it and understand everything that's about to happen. So they don't know where they're going. They, they don't know what's happening. And then Jesus says this, verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. Now from now on you do know him and have seen him. And then Philip asked, Lord, just show us the Father and that will be enough for us. And Jesus says, Listen, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And he goes on to say a little bit later, I and the Father are one. Everything I do, I do because the Father is working through me. Right? So, so Jesus is the witness uh, to the Father and to truth and to life and to light. And then finally, all this comes to a conclusion. Turn over to chapter 18 with me. Uh, Jesus is, is, a, is betrayed by Judas, at beginning of chapter 18. And then you begin these trials where he goes before the leaders of the Jewish people. Uh, Peter denies Jesus. Then the high priest questioned Jesus. They can't figure out what to do, so they send him to Pilate, uh, the Roman governor that's over the province. Pilate's on his last leg. Man, he's gotten into all kind of trouble with Rome, right? He he, he came from a fairly well-to-do family, and he made a bunch of mistakes. So they send him out to the backwoods, out to Theo, Mississippi, where nobody cares what's going on. And he's on his last leg, right? He's already got word from one of the senators that you mess up one more time, and that's it, all right? We're going to take you off the map. So he's despicable, right? He's, he's just trying to figure out what's going on. And they stuck him down here with these Jews. Nobody wants to deal with the Jews because they've got their own religion. They don't worship the Roman gods. They've been allowed to keep their temple, right? It's just a political mess, right? <laughs> Nightmare for him. And now these Jews bring this guy who claims to be their king, the Messiah. Uh, and they want him to be put to death. And Pilate's like, I don't know what to do with this guy. So, verse thirty-three. Uh, Pilate's going to talk with Jesus. Thirty-three. So, Pilate uh, entered his headquarters again and called Jesus, and said to him, "Are you the King of the Jews?" And Jesus answered, "Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me?" <laughs> no. Imagine being Pilate. I Man, he, he he doesn't care. And he see that verse thirty-five. Pilate answered, "Am I a Jew?" Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? I, <clears throat> verse thirty-six. I, I, I just imagine Pilate thinking, "This guy's crazy, right? What is he even talking about?" As Jesus talks here, Jesus answered. He says, "Listen, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world." And then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered and said, well, you say that I'm a king, but for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I've come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Now, think about this just for a second. Of all the things that Jesus could have said to Pilate, and in fact, I would suggest to you that that this interview with Pilate if Jesus had just not said anything really, right, and just said, you know, hey, yeah, they're, they're saying I did this, and yeah, they're here because I said I was going to die and come back from the dead three days later, right, Pilate probably would have let him go, and that would have been the end of it. And we know that because Pilate tries to do that, right? But then the Jews get upset and say, no, 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 uh, we want to have him put to death. But instead, Jesus says this. He takes the opportunity to say to Pilate, the fact that I'm a king is not the important thing here. I am a king. Don't don't get me wrong, right? He he makes that very clear. And my kingdom is not of this world. But I've come for another purpose first, and that is to bear witness to the truth. I'm here to tell you the truth. And then he, and then Jesus says something uh, devastating. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Everyone who is of the truth. Listens to my voice. Let me let me let me paraphrase that this way, maybe, so you can get your mind around it and think about what this implies. Everyone who is truthful listens to my voice. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Now keep that in mind for just a second. Something we're going to get to here. And then Pilate asks the question. Here it is: six hundred million dollar question thirty-eight. Pilate said to him, what is truth? Right? Pilate's given up on that idea. What, what is truth? It's it's, it, listen, Pilate's really a postmodern thinker. It, it, it's all about words and power and political manipulation. There's no ultimate foundation for truth. Right? He's at the end of his career, at the end of his rope. Nothing he's done has worked out. Life is probably meaningless to him. So the question for him is, who, who cares about truth? What does that even mean? Right? Now, the reason I bring that up is our culture has taken that <laughs> and we have run with it. Not only are we asking the question, what is truth in, in a negative way, right? When the idea that there is no absolute, ultimate foundation for knowable truth, but that now we get to define truth however we see fit. right? Because as we, as we talked about last week, Uh, we have rejected the idea that there is revelation. And I'm talking about our culture in general. I'm not talking specifically about us. But I'm talking about our culture in general has completely rejected the idea of revelation. Exactly what John just gave us here. That God has revealed Himself, and He has revealed Himself specifically in the person of the Lord Jesus. That's one of the major arguments in the Gospel of John. And so, to know Jesus is to know truth. To know I am the way, I am the truth, right? He, and this is so I I can't fully get my mind around this. Uh, the, the The other New Testament writers take this same idea and they develop it as well. Jesus, Jesus does not just give us witness to truth; He Himself is truth. Right in Ephesians, Paul says the truth is in Jesus. In Colossians, he says, and also in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And that only makes sense because if he is the creator, (laughs) right? if if everything was literally created through Jesus, then he knows everything there is to know about everything. Do, Do you follow what I'm saying there? So to reject him is to reject knowledge about reality itself. If... He is true. Now, that's the big if, that everybody's asked that question. Many people have turned away from it. No, it's not true. You know, the Bible is just man-made traditions, and you get all these interpretations, and, you know, all, all the different things that are going on and, and whatever. So, so with that, uh, today, we, we're, we're going to push into this truth. And just a couple of things. If you look at the handout that I gave you, uh, I, I, I wanted to start here and... and um, Lay this groundwork, and we're going to continue to talk about this next week. <clears throat> First of all, I have a quote uh, at the top from Dallas Willard's book, The, the Allure of Gentleness. That, that, that's a fantastic book. It's all about, um, it's, all, it, it's basically a book on apologetics. Uh, how, do, how do we as Christians communicate the truth that we believe in a, in a culture that's very hostile to us? And and Willard is a breath of fresh air. I Willard writes that book long before the pandemic and the anger and the everybody been out of shape, you know, and saying crazy things. He, he writes it largely before social media, you know, with the complete unraveling of our culture, with the, with the terrible uh, reality that that's become. Uh, and, and what uh, Willard argues for is, is that uh, Christians above all people, we, we, you know, when we run into people that oppose us, we don't need to get mad. We need to get bent out of shape, right? In fact, we need to follow our Lord, who, 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 whose allure was his gentleness, <laughs> right? Hmm, wow. I know some people that could take a work note on that or two, right? Me, myself, sometimes. Um, uh, and what he says in the book, I, this is one of my favorite statements about this. Willard has a way of phrasing things that are right, it's right down to earth. He says this, truth reveals reality. And reality can be described as what we humans run into when we are wrong, a conclusion in which we always lose. Right? In other words, you can, you can say you believe anything you want to. You can get up on top of this roof and say, I believe I can fly. And jump right off the side. And reality is very quickly going to punch you in the face. Right? So there is such a thing as reality. And so h- how do we process reality thinking about truth? The, uh, the, the, the next three things here are from... I think this is from a book by James Sire. I can't remember. I've, I've kind of worked these into my own. But when we think about truth and reality, he, he says that there are three things that we that we have to believe about reality in order to be able to communicate with one another and to develop fellowship with one another and you know, be on the same page and have any kind of discussion whatsoever. And the three things are this, reality is objective in essence. This means that reality is not defined by the viewpoint of the observer, right? Reality is not defined by the viewpoint of the observer. Reality is real in and of itself. Now that is really important, right? Because again, in our culture, this idea of reality itself has been challenged, uh, since the mid-20th century, if, if, you, if, you, if you took a philosophy class, at some point, you probably got into this study of uh, epistemology. How do we know what we know and how do we think about what we know? And at one question, the issue comes up about what is reality? How do we know that reality is real? And in the middle of the 20th century, there was put forward this idea that messed with everybody's mind. How do you know that this is really taking place and that you're not just a brain in a vat plugged in with electrodes going through some type of artificial simulation. How would you know? By the way, y'all do know that's what Elon Musk thinks reality is. We are a computer simulation running in some alien software somewhere. That's at the core of his worldview, right? That dude is nuttier than a Christmas fruit cake. Right? <laughs> Don't let his great intelligence trick you. He is nuts, right? Uh, he, he has said, you know, give him probability. We're probably just a simulation running somewhere, right? So reality, is it real? Is it objective in essence, right? What is reality? It's a very difficult question to answer. Um, and let me just say that these questions become very sharply focused the minute people hear the words like cancer, Right, or you find out you got some terminal illness. Then all of a sudden, it doesn't matter what the philosophers say. Boy, this sure seems real, right? Got the focus on it, right? So, so reality is objective in essence. I remember back in, um, I remember back. It was around two thousand six, two thousand seven. Uh, I was talking about a um, study that was done at a major. University at the time, I thought this was crazy. I thought, this is just such a great illustration for what I'm talking about in reality. This uh, university released the findings of a 20-year study, and at the end of the 20-year study, they'd come to the conclusion that there was no physiological, and that's the important word, there was no physiological difference between men and women. And I think, well, at any point in the study, did you just put a woman by a man side by side and look at them right Physiological difference. And I think, oh, and I used to talk about that because that is an escape from reality, right? If you look at a woman and a man side by side, reality tells us there is a physiological difference. I've been married to a woman for almost 30 years now, and we are different physiologically, right? But see, now we're in a culture that's escaped from reality whatsoever. And y'all know where that's gone in our time. Now reality is shaped by the mind of the observer. I can be whatever I want to be. I can define myself in any way whatsoever. And there are are limits to how far that will go. We'll talk more about that. That ties into the second thing, though, and this is this. Reality is subjective in apprehension. Even though reality is objectively real, we always process it through our biases and mental filters. How many times... Have you had an experience in life where you're going through and you think you know what something is? You think you know how something works? You think you've got something figured out and then you get a new piece of information and you think, oh no, I didn't have that right at all. So even though there's an objective reality, we are all experiencing that reality through filters and through lenses that, that we have developed over our time. I'm going to say more about that next week especially. Uh, So reality is real, but our perception of it may be flawed. And it it gets flawed very quickly when we do away with revelation. When we do away with the witness from God that comes outside of our reality that tells us the way things actually are. Very quickly we get into trouble. So so it's, it's objective, but it's subjective in apprehension, and then this is the third thing: reality can be meaning, meaningfully comprehended and communicated in language. So we can talk about uh, reality in a meaningful way. Um, we can have discussions over it. This is what Jesus is doing, right? Jesus can speak, we can comprehend what He says. And we can enter into dialogue. We can listen to his words in the gospels. We can read the Bible and comprehend it. Then we can go and have conversations with others, and we can talk back and forth, and hopefully, you know, gain some understanding of one another, and hopefully, uh, develop together. Right? Uh, All those things. So, so reality can be meaningfully comprehended and communicated uh, in language. And then finally, I bring all that together, just back to truth at the bottom. Truth represents and expresses what is really real. Now, let me ask you this. This is what I want to ask you here. If what we just read about Jesus is true, now let me just assume that for a minute. And I know we, in this room we believe that's true. But there will be a lot of people in our culture that don't believe it's true, right? But if we, if we take what we've just read about Jesus, that He is the Word, who was God and with God from the beginning, that all things were created through Him, that He is the light of mankind and in in Him there is life. Another thing Jesus says in John is, I have come that you may have life and that you may have it abundantly. And He can tell us how to do that because as uh, Peter calls Him in the book of Acts, He is the prince of life. (laughs) Life has its origin in Him in some form or other, right? If those things are true, All things being created by Jesus. And we could even go further in the New Testament. We know that not only are all things created by Jesus, but in Colossians and in Hebrews, Paul and the writer of Hebrews tells us that everything is being carried along by Jesus. In Hebrews, by His powerful Word. Nothing happens apart from Him. At the end of Matthew 28, I think we talked about this last week, Jesus says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. He is the one who is ultimate, who has responsibility for everything that happens. Everything passes through Him first. <laughs> Not one thing takes place without Jesus being intimately involved with it. And then finally, Ephesians 1, everything's going to have its conclusion in Jesus. Everything's going to be summed up in Jesus. Everything's going to be brought together, headed up in Jesus. One way that that's going to happen is, is that at the end, every knee will bow, and every tongue will, will confess, every tongue, that He is Lord to the glory of the Father. Now let me ask you this, if that really defines reality, we've been created by Jesus, we've been sustained by Jesus, we're going to find our conclusion in Jesus, if that defines reality, then what does that say about us if we reject it? It's insanity. It's insanity, right? Yes, that's it. It's, it is to reject reality itself, right and this is, this, this is one of the things that I think we 've lost because of the political correctness movement and and all the the things that go along with that is that Christianity is making a very exclusive claim that the the one that we 're following now now i 'm going to say something about this in a minute in fact, I may say this last and then run for you 're going to Uh, The one that we're following. He is truth. He defines reality. Right? Now, I may tear that message up trying to get it out. I may not communicate it properly. But that does not do away with the reality that's going on there. Right? So, to to live your life untethered from that, if that is reality, is utter insanity. And, y'all... We know that that 's true too, because just look at our culture as as we have untethered ourselves from that reality, and this is the really was I was watching a show um gosh, this was years ago, and it was about the you know about the wild, wild west basically, and in it they were were, were were telling a story about you know these despicable characters and whatnot and at one point they were talking about this guy had killed so many people, and you know he said um he said that uh, oftentimes he would bury the person and he would say a prayer over him, and then he would say, uh, "I'm going to have a lot to answer for on the Day of judgment." And I thought immediately, there is a guy who is in one level untethered from reality, right because he doesn't think his life has consequences, but on the bigger level, he knows that his life has consequences. He knows without a doubt that at the end he's going to have to stand before his creator. And give an account for all the wickedness he had done. Right? That's reality. That defines reality. At least the way the scriptures define reality. So, so even though he's not fully applying it, he's not completely completely untethered from that reality. In our culture, we are completely untethered from it. Right? We have now had over a hundred years of teaching a naturalistic evolutionary worldview in our schools. And through our culture and everything that's on TV talks about the beginning of the universe and the beginning which nobody really knows if you really press people on how everything started, I don't know. But it all happened by chance. It all happened by accident, right? It's certain molecules came together, hydrogen came together after the Big Bang and da da, 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 da you know, long sequence of everything. It completely happened by accident. And then we get to where we are now with us, these complicated, complex beings. Um, And they're absolutely sure that that's exactly how things happen, utterly by chance, without whatever. And then you ask the devastating question. Okay, everything happened by chance. You've come up with that in your mind, right? You're completely convinced of it. Yes, I'm completely convinced. And then ask this question. So let me ask you this. In your mind, in your thinking of it, that is your consciousness. Yes? Yes. What is consciousness? See, that, that's the question that nobody... We've been talking about that for years. What is consciousness? We can't even answer that question. So if you can't answer that, how can you be sure that what you're thinking in your mind is actually related to reality? Right? If all we have is our natural apprehension of the world. right? Jesus comes in and he gives us an alternative. I created you. You can think because I can think. You have emotions because I and the Father have emotions. You have will because I and the Father have will. You're not the product of some endless cycle of chance and probability or improbability, actually. You have been directly created to be our image and likeness in this creation that we've shaped. And you can know it and you can comprehend it. And you can interact with it, right? That's a very different thing. Our culture again has become untethered from it, and that's why everybody is out in left field, trying to figure out what in the world is going on. And so, in our culture, we're left with the individual to define what is right and true, and just and unjust. And and listen, y'all, y'all know we're we're just at the beginnings of this in reality, because we've got to add to that at least sixty years of people coming through our educational system where they have not been taught basic facts about history and reality, and one of the devastating things is nobody's been taught how to think critically about anything anymore. And you put that together with a culture that is becoming more and more technologically advanced with only a small number of people that know how to run the machines that run the machines that make up our culture, right? I mean, last, last week, or little earlier uh, last month, we had two days where the temperature dropped below six degrees. Think about the chaos that caused. Right? The machines broke, and the machines that broke the work on the machines broke, right? And the reason it takes everything to get back going is there's only a small number of people that know how any of that works. And all the rest of us are too dumb to know how our cell phone works. You know how to answer a call and record, you know, right? So as we become technologically more advanced, and y'all, y'all, barely, y'all, just take it with a grain of salt. And as we become dumber and dumber, right? Which is happening. Yeah, I, I got bad news for you. We are the dumbest form of humanity that's ever existed on planet Earth, ever, ever, because these machines—they have messed with our minds. Right? They've taken away our ability to remember. It used to be you had to remember stuff. You had to now I'm pointing my finger at myself here. You had to remember phone numbers, things of that nature, right? So as these things become worse and worse, uh our culture is going to continually degrade. And, and in fact, I think we're at the point there's nothing that can be done for it. Because you know, if you if you study history, this is the course of every democratic republic. And particularly the democracies. Democracies make life so good that people don't think about what makes life good anymore and they assume it's going to happen so they become lazy and they become stupid the democracy unravels a dictator comes in, takes over because as Thomas Jefferson said the people become too stupid to govern themselves and that always happens George Washington warned about this in his farewell address he also warned about a two party system and how that would completely unravel democracy we forgot, we've forgot. we completely forgotten that one uh, so so As all these things happen, this is what I'm bringing this to. We as believers are the last foothold, the last foothold for truth in our culture. As Paul says about the church in in, uh, one of the Timothy letters, the church is the pillar and the bulwark of the truth. We hold the truth up to the world. We are the ones now, Jesus is back in heaven. We are the ones now that have been given the, the opportunity and the privilege and the responsibility to bear witness to the truth, to hold him up. And this is what really worries me in our time. So many in the church, churches in the West have gotten wrapped around the axles thinking that, well, if we just have the right political agenda, things are going to change. No. Never. Politics have never really changed anything. In fact, the whole thing about politics is, is to stick, keep the status quo. right? Mark Twain warned us about this. If voting actually made a difference, they would have made it illegal years ago. Right? The, the, the political system is to keep people in power who've already had that power. And kept it under control. But the church has gotten wrapped around the axles with that. We have lost our hope. We have lost our focus. Our focus should be on the Lord Jesus. Jesus is the only one who can actually tell us what is real and true and just. And as he just said, my kingdom is not of this world. It's not made up of a political system, right, or a political ideology. And if you boy, if you really take him seriously, he just dismantles everybody, right? And so as, as we think about these things and as we, as we get into what we're going to get into uh, next week, I'm going to come back and talk about how all of this is, is filtered through uh, our, our understanding of the world and our own filters and our own biases. The, the, thing, the thing I want us to get back to is, is that just like Jesus, I believe, as Dallas Willard says, we have to get back and have our allure of gentleness. We need to know how to communicate to people in our culture and our society not out of anger, not out of rage, not out of disgust, right? but out of a place of we want you to come to know the truth and to know the joy and the life and the light that Jesus gives us, right? And we need to think about how we're going to do that because, man, everything in our culture is trying to push our buttons and make us mad and get us bent out of shape and everything else. And we as the followers of Jesus, we, we, we have to resist that at every turn, right? Because Jesus said in, in the book of Acts, they will know you're my disciples, how? By your love by your love that we have for one another. But also this other thing that we looked at last week, love your enemies. (laughs) And do good to those who harm you, right? That's the way of Jesus. And as we do those things, it opens up the opportunity for these discussions that we can have. And y'all, the the other thing that I'm bringing this up is I, I, I truly believe that our culture is moving into a level of insanity, unsanity, where people are going to be more open and receptive to issues of truth than they may have been in a very long time. Because reality is about to start punching people in the face. As these crazy things that we're saying we believe, and these crazy ideas that we put forth is just, well, this is just the way it is. The the chickens are coming home to roost on a lot of that. And as we see our culture erode, and many of the blessings that you and I have had in our life, as we see many of those things start to go away, people are going to be open to that, and we need to be ready to be able to take them to the one who is the source of truth, who is truth Himself, not ideas, not theology, to Jesus. Right? That's really to me, it's just vitally important. All right, y'all, uh, we're at time should I pray or is somebody else praying to close us out? It's on me. Okay. Let me pray for us and we will close it. Y'all uh, stick this handout in your Bible and bring it back next week. I'll have some extras next week as well. Cause if you're like me, you'll forget you stuck it in your Bible. and week after next week. Put it, w- That's right. Th- thank you. A uh, week after next week, we're off. Uh, we've got the meeting next week and then we'll come back the week after that. So let me go ahead and pray for us and we'll turn loose here. Father, we thank you for all the ways that you bless us and provide for us and sustain us. And, We ask that you would uh, help us in all the ways that we need help. We, as we seek to follow our Lord Jesus, there are many challenges and many uh, issues that come before us. And it is a struggle. It is an absolute struggle to uh, live uh, the way he himself lived in love and peace in joy. And uh, we want to do that so that as as, uh, Peter says, uh, always be ready to give a defense of the hope that you have. We want to be people characterized by hope uh, and faith, not fear and doubt. And so, Lord, in order to do that, we really need to understand and have a mind uh, for why we believe the things that we believe so that we can fully and truly communicate uh, everything that we know that leads people to Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And so we give you all thanks and all praise, and thank you for the time we have together here Pray that you bless our efforts as we all seek to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus. And it's in His uh, powerful name that we ask all this. Amen. Amen. Thanks a lot, y'all.